If you remember, Joseph was not a very popular guy among his brethren because he was a favorite of his father. And so where we left Joseph last time was he had been taken up from a pit and been sold into slavery by his brothers. Now, it's one thing uh, to be sold into slavery. It's quite another thing to be sold into slavery by people who are your blood and are supposed to be your family. But that is the case um, that Joseph found himself in. So today we're going to uh, continue that story. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 39. Before we go there, I just want to read one verse in Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, it won't really necessarily directly apply to tonight. But it's Joseph's appearance in the Hall of Faith. It says, By faith Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. You know, we we just saying how God is still on the throne. God is still on the throne. And then we saying, Be still my soul, the Lord is on my side. And that's certainly both of those hymns. Uh, the truths of those hymns are borne out in the story of Joseph. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you could turn to Genesis um, chapter 39, and uh, we will begin to read with verse 1 of Genesis chapter 39. And as I'm turning there, um, just a little bit of reminder is that I will have um, some cross-references and when I get to a cross-reference, I will let you know what that is. And then um, whichever of you gentlemen who is quickest on the draw and can find it for us can stand and read it. This does two things. Number one, it makes it easier for me because I don't have to flip around my Bible so much. And number two, hopefully it keeps you awake. <laughs> I mean, I hope I can keep you awake anyway, but just taking every... Um, precaution that that is the case so just to keep those things in mind so i've kind of titled um this message the blessings and testings of life because often they they um come on the heels of of each other. We all have ups and downs in life. We all have struggles. We have times when things are going great and times when we're low. You think of um, Job when he had everything that that it seems like could be earthly success and the devil said to God, well, Job's only serving you because he has everything. And we all know that story. We won't go into detail. But, but it was kind of like that for Joseph. He had a lot of ups and downs in life. Remember, he started out as the favorite son of his father, um, which is not a very, it's very dangerous to have um, favorites. And uh, I know one of my friend's fathers would always say to his sons, of all my sons, you are one of them. <laughs> you know, that was the way that he dealt with that. But it, what we see in this story, and actually through the generations, the dangers of favoritism, because we saw, first of all, that um, 
Jacob favored Rachel, which is why he favored Joseph. So it was a it was a continual problem. But as we come to Genesis chapter 39, Joseph is on the slave trading block, and it says this. We're going to read for our first point, uh, which is Joseph is blessed in Potiphar's house. We're going to read the first six verses here. So it says, And Joseph was brought down um, to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, and captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him at the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house. And all that he had put in his hand, and and all that he had, he put in his hand. And it came to pass from that time that he had made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in that house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. And so we see that Joseph just experienced a low point. He was in the pit that his brothers put him in, and then he thinks they're pulling him out. Maybe he thinks they're going to reconcile with him. And what do they do? They sell him to a band of traveling uh, traders, and they, they get money for him. They sell their brother. And they think that they're just getting rid of their brother. They don't know that in the long range, they're saving their own lives. Because we, we, we only see parts of life that we are a part of. We do not see the whole tapestry that God is making of our lives. And so they don't know this. But Joseph um, was blessed by God wherever he went. So even, you know, and if he had to be in a place as a slave... He gets the best possible place as a slave because it turns out that even while he's in Egypt as the slave, when you would think God had abandoned him, you know, from a worldly perspective, we would say God abandoned him. This never would have happened if he was serving God. But what does it say in the text? It says the Lord was with him. And beyond that, it says that his master saw that the Lord was with him. My first question to you tonight is, do do people see, when they look at your life, or when they interact with you on a daily basis, or a weekly basis, or however often, or maybe just once, do they see that the Lord is with you? Can they sense that? It's a very important question for us all to ask. And it says that Joseph was a prosperous man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And then um, the Egyptian has the right response because he sees that the Lord is with Joseph and uh, he puts him in charge of everything. And it says, Joseph found grace in his sight 
and he served him, and he made him overseer of his house, and put all that he had into his hand. So Joseph was the head of everything. No doubt Potiphar was busy with the stuff of his job, being part of the Pharaoh's guard. He probably had very little time to sit down and take an accounting of what was going on in his house. So he's like, Joseph, you're a good man. Take it all over. So even in the midst of this time, the midst of this testing, there is a blessing. Remember, we started out by talking about the blessings and the testings of the Lord. You know, I, I, had, a, I had a friend, and I often come back to this uh, illustration because it's stuck in my mind. I had a friend once ask me, why does God use a two-by-four whenever he wants to get my attention? And my answer to that is this, that often he uses the two-by-four because the still small voice didn't work. And so he puts us in a two-by-four situation where the only thing um, we can do is look up to him. Now, a lot of people point to um, Joseph as an Old Testament type of Christ, and there are a lot of parallels. But I would submit to you that even though Joseph was well-meaning, that he perhaps struggled with a certain amount of youthful pride. And so God used the pit and his time as a slave in Egypt to humble him and to cause him to rely on God to such an extent that later, as we'll get into, that Pharaoh himself would say, where is such a man wherein the Spirit of God dwells? And they would say, is it not Joseph? You see, Joseph, when he's in the pit, he's not thinking about being uh, the leader of one of the greatest nations uh, of the known world. He's not thinking about that. He's thinking about, when am I going to get a drink of water? When am I going to get a bit of food? But he's placed in this place, and he has, and God blesses that. And uh, could, could we look, um, by way of cross-reverence, at Philippians 2.13-15? Philippians 2.13-15. This is Paul talking about how we're to live. Um, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and whisperings that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom he shines lights in the world. And that is what we see in Joseph. He went to a crooked and perverse nation. Egypt was not a God-fearing nation. They didn't know the God of the Israelites. They would meet him in a very real way. But as a matter of fact, there would come a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph and was hardened against the Israelites and their God. I know I'm kind of jumping around, but the, the, the point here is that Joseph was that example, and it was seen by the Potiphar. He said, the Lord is with Joseph. So the first thing is that Joseph knew the Lord was with him, and he had that confidence. The second thing is that Potiphar knew that the Lord was with Joseph and had that confidence. So if we just stopped reading here, we would say, well, things, you know, being a slave is not the greatest, but things worked out pretty good for Joseph, and we should be happy for him. But we'll see that in the midst of this blessing... 
he is going to be tested by Potiphar's wife. So first he is blessed in Potiphar's house, then he is tested by Potiphar's wife. So we're going to read Genesis 39, 7-18. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wanteth not what is in with me in the house, and hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her, to lay by her, or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lay with thee, lay with me. And he left his garment in her hand, and he fled and got him out. And it came to pass, when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand, and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of her house, and she spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in an Hebrew unto us to mock us, and he came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass, that when he heard that I lifted up my voice, and cried that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. And she spoke unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass, as I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled out. And so, Joseph's in the midst of this great blessing. Everything's going swimmingly. He's doing everything for the pot of his house. And then his wife, Potiphar's wife, becomes attracted to Joseph. And she thinks that she can use her power an influence to cause Joseph to sin. And because uh, it, uh, it says in the end of verse 6, and Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. But he refuses. And apparently this wasn't just a once or twice thing. Apparently it was repeatedly over days. We don't know how long. But it was repeatedly. It was a pattern. And he refused. And he did some pretty smart things here. First of all, it says that he would not be with her alone in the house. And he would not consent to lay by her. So he purposed in his heart, much as Daniel would later, that he would not defile himself. And it, it makes me think that even though Abraham showed favorites, which, or um, even though uh, Jacob showed favorites, which is not a good thing, he must have passed on some good information about the God of Israel. 
for Joseph to have the foundation to be able to realize that to commit sin with Potiphar's wife would be a sin against God. And he says, how can I do this sin against God, this great wickedness? And every day she asks him the same question. She asks him to lie with her. She asks him to do this great wickedness. And then there's one time when he comes into the house and she's the only one there. Now at this point he could have chosen to uh, to finally give in. Nobody would know ostensibly. But he, but he decides, no, I'm going to flee. And he flees with, to such a degree that he leaves his garment and runs away as fast as he can. And is that the end of the story? Is he vindicated right then and there for doing the right thing before God? No. Because the Potiphar's wife makes up a story. And she says that this Hebrew that you brought home, this slave, he came in to mock me, he tried to force me. And she makes up the story. I think about what Jesus said in the New Testament when he said, uh, happy are you when men persecute you and revile you and say all manner of evil against you for my sake, for great is your reward in heaven. I think the same can be said for Joseph for standing his ground and doing the moral thing. And so she tells this story to her servants and to her husband. And I can't imagine, you know, what's going through Joseph's mind at this point. At this point, he's fled the scene. He's trying to stay away from the house, no doubt, even though he probably has jobs in the house that he needs to do. And he's probably crying out for help from God. But he's just kind of waiting to see, God, how are you going to deliver me? And sometimes the deliverance doesn't come the way we think it will. Or even on this earth. Remember my early example of Job where he never, as far as we know, he never knew on this side of heaven why God allowed those things. He didn't know that, that God was having conversations with Satan about him. I mean, I remember as a little kid, being, and I'm still kind of surprised that, that even though Satan was cast out of heaven, that he was able to go to heaven and get an audience with, with God about Job. Why was that even allowed? That may be one of the questions that I ask when I get there. But the point is, sometimes we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. If we could look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. 2 Timothy 2, 22. By way of cross-reverence. Now flee from youthful lust, and 
So we see, again, this example from the New, the, the, this verse from the New Testament that is illuminated in the life of Joseph. There's two things here that are very important. First he says, flee youthful lusts, and then he says, pursue good. Sometimes when we flee, we don't find something to pursue, and then we find ourselves in similar patterns. It's kind of like that parable that Jesus told about the, the demons. The man cleans his house, gets all the demons out, but he leaves it empty. He doesn't fill it with good things. And what happens? The demon goes and finds his friends and comes back to the man and brings his friends with him. And he says the state of that man is worse than it was on the first. And so as we're we're fleeing youthful lust, as we're getting out of dangerous and tempting situations, we need to fill it with good things. One thing that I like to do is, is to listen to the Bible before I go to sleep because I have an audio Bible app on my phone and I, I like to listen to the Bible before I go to sleep. It helps me to dwell on those things instead of things that would not be good for me to dwell on. And I feel I need to do even more of that as time goes on. So remember, flee, but then pursue. All right, so we have covered these two points. First of all, Joseph is blessed in Potiphar's house. Then Joseph is tested by Potiphar's wife. And then Joseph, for our third and final point, is tested and blessed in prison. And of course, we will talk more about um, his prison experience, Lord willing, next time. I speak to you, but right now let's look at um, Genesis chapter 39, verses 19 to 23. And it came to pass, when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in prison. But, see this phrase again? We've already seen it twice. What is it? But the Lord was with Joseph. You know, sometimes I get discouraged and I feel like God isn't doing things in my life, but then as I look back, as I draw back the curtain. And I step back and I think about what God has done, how he's led me, how he's given me opportunities to preach and expand in my ministry, how he's placed me at the Potter's House Christian School after looking for work for five years. All those no's that I received, all those rejection letters that I received from all these jobs that I thought I wanted and finally I have a job that I love and I can't wait to get to work every day. Because God knew what he was doing. And all those no's led to the right yes. And I have to think about that in in relationships as well. Because I still believe that God has, has a wife out there for me somewhere. And I've received a lot of no's. 
But that just means that when the yes comes, it's going to be that much more blessed. And it's very hard to wait. And I'm a complainer, just ask my family. But God is good. And I'm pretty sure, if Joseph was honest, that as he's going down to this prison, he wouldn't have said, oh, well, the Lord is with me. Everything's okay. But as Moses, who wrote the story down, is writing the story by divine inspiration, he keeps going back to one central point. The Lord was with Joseph. And you know, I'm beginning to write down stories from my life because my father has strongly encouraged me to write an autobiography. And I can definitely see places in my life where I can say the same thing. The Lord was with me. He's with us all the time. But sometimes it takes hindsight to realize how he actually was with us. And so we're seeing that the Lord was with Joseph. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison Whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him. There is a, I think that's the fourth time in this chapter that it says the Lord was with Joseph. And isn't that what we all want as believers to be able to say, the Lord is with us. It says, the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. What does that sound like? It sounds exactly like what happened when he was in Potiphar's house. Can you imagine being his fellow prisoners, watching this prisoner come down and then having the the jailer say, this prisoner is going to be in charge of you? All of you report to him. I'm not going to worry about a thing because Joseph is here. But that's what it says. And why does it say that? Because, again, Joseph's not thinking about being the leader of one of the greatest, of one of the largest nations in the known world. He's just thinking about, what am I doing in prison? I didn't do anything wrong. But God was still on his throne. He didn't abdicate his throne and leave Joseph with no hope. He allowed Joseph to prosper where he was. Even in a prison. And so, I think it's important for us to realize that these trials that Joseph went through. They had blessings mixed with them. This was preparation for what Joseph would later do when he becomes the governor of Egypt. And when he saves his whole family. And we'll get into it more as we go through this story, but the passage that I read from Hebrews to begin this message was another show of faith by Joseph because he is dying. 
He's going to be buried in Egypt. But he says, when you go up from Egypt. He didn't say if. He said, when you go up from Egypt, bring my bones with you. Because he had that confidence, that faith. I just wanted to go back and point out that, per, that there's a good chance from what I've read that the anger that Potiphar's, or Potiphar had was not towards Joseph but was rather toward his wife. Yeah. Because if he had truly been wrathful towards Joseph as a slave, there was no justice system. There was no reason why he couldn't have lifted Joseph's head off his body and said you're not going to live anymore but God had a plan all through this hall of faith that we've been studying God has a plan remember when Abraham takes Isaac up to Mount Moriah and puts him on the wood and raises his hand to slay his son he knows That if his son dies, God can raise him from the dead. He had no way of knowing that God would stay his hand before he did it, but he did it anyway. A lot of times we think that mercy is God taking a trial away from us. But sometimes mercy is God walking with us through a trial. In verse 21 it says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Everywhere Joseph goes, he's shown favor. But it's not because of how great he is. It's because of how great the God he served was. I think it's so important for us to realize that our circumstances don't dictate the goodness of God. The goodness of God is beyond circumstances. When I became a believer in Jesus Christ at the young age of almost five, I still woke up the next day needing to use a wheelchair. I didn't walk out to the kitchen and say, Praise the Lord, I'm healed! So great that I can now serve the Lord. And sadly, I allowed that to cloud the first nine years of my salvation experience. Because I had many conversations with God about how if He would heal me physically, then I could serve Him. But since He didn't, since He made this one mistake... I know you make no mistakes, but you made at least one because you put me in this chair. And since you made made that mistake, I can't serve you. What are you thinking, God? It was just like Joseph. It was like being in the pit. Not being able to see over it, not being able to know where you're going to get your water or your food. And then getting released from it and saying, well, now I'm going to be... <clears throat> reconciled to my brothers 
we're just going to be one big happy family again. And then wait a second. They're tying me up. They're giving me to slave traders. And now I'm in this foreign land with idol worshippers. And I'm supposed to serve them. But whatever was done, whatever anybody did in that prison, Joseph was the doer of it. Imagine that. It's the same opportunity in a different environment that he had in the Potiphar's house. That's why I don't think the wrath of Potiphar was against Joseph, because I bet that he recommended to the jailer Hey, this guy will do you good. And at least I can appease my wife somewhat by having him down here. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. This is a little bit about persevering in trials. If you are reviled in the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in his name. None of the suffering that Joseph is going through in this chapter is because of things that he did wrong. None of the suffering that he went through was because he brought shame to God. You know, sometimes people make assumptions about why people suffer. I've had twice in my life where people have told me, well, if you had enough faith, you could get out of that wheelchair and walk away. Friends, God is not a vending machine. He doesn't just give us what we want. I've told people on numerous occasions that if he had given me my legs, I might have walked away from him as a young child before I had the chance to experience his redemption. When I was a teenager, I contemplated suicide after the death of my brother. Praise the Lord that I was never able to do anything about it. So you see, in those two ways, my wheelchair is not a curse, it's an infinite blessing. You see, right now, Joseph's in the jail. And he might be thinking, oh Lord, what am I going to do here? I mean, he obviously doesn't want to be here because later he's going to tell somebody that gets out of jail, remember me to the Pharaoh. Because he doesn't want to be there. And yet God is preparing him for something greater. And perhaps you are somewhere in this life that you do not want to be. May I encourage you to trust God. May I encourage you to believe that He has your best interests at heart. And if you do not know God, then you can't trust God. The gospel is simple Christ died on the cross according to the scriptures. 
was buried according to the scriptures and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and rose again the third day so that you and I could have salvation. For neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other under heaven given among men, no other name by which we must be saved. I preach the gospel here tonight because I believe that it is my responsibility every time I get up in the pulpit to share the saving grace of Jesus Christ. I can't guarantee, I have no guarantee, I can't look in your heart and guarantee that you are getting into heaven. I trust that many, if not all of you, have made that decision, but I cannot guarantee it. And so then, therefore, I lay the offer before you again tonight that the God of the universe, the God who created it all, made you and wants a relationship with you through his son. So that if you are in a dungeon of life, if you are in a waiting period of life like Joseph is right now in that jail, that you can say, the Lord is with me. I trust and hope that that will be your testimony tonight, or if not tonight, soon. Just want to read this in closing. It's a list of God's blessings to the believer by a man named F.E. Marsh. He writes, These are some of the blessings of God, an acceptance that can never be questioned, an inheritance that can never be lost, a deliverance that can never be excelled, a grace that can never be limited, a hope that can never be disappointed, a bounty that can never be withdrawn, a joy that can never be diminished, a nearness to God that can never be reversed, a peace that can never be disturbed, a righteousness that can never be tarnished, and a salvation that can never be canceled. What a wonderful God we indeed serve. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this story of Joseph. We thank you for how human it is. We thank you for showing the ups and downs of life in a very real way. We thank you for the testimony of Joseph through all these trials that he was faithful to you. And Lord, we just pray that you would minister to us. As we sang earlier, God is still on the throne. No doubt that was a comfort to Joseph in his time of living among idol worshippers. And no doubt it can be a comfort to us of living in a society that has forgotten God. And doesn't want to bow the knee to his commands and his loving exhortations. But may we continue to be bold. May we, as Paul said, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our work is not in vain. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.